yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. place. Smell that dope when I pass by. by. I let my money at a fast pace. Alright, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast, because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got Tank. Hello. And also with us today, we got Tone. What up, dope? All right, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Uh, so for starters today, we're all kind of splitting a drink, kind of out of necessity, because if I tried to drink this big-ass thing all by myself, I'd be, I'd be getting gurneyed out of here. <laughs> we got this Founders Barrel-Aged Imperial Stout, which is coming in at 12.5%. You guys all had a chance to drink yours or try yours? Yes. What do you think? Uh, it looks like mud. <laughs> Pours like mud. But tastes like heaven. Ah, I like it. We use heaven as a descriptor in here pretty commonly. <laughs> we really like our drinks, yeah. man. <laughs> I think we're a quality, not quantity crew, though, if that, if that helps at all. <laughs> Only slightly alcoholic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess it's not funny to make jokes about that. But no. Uh, Damn it, Tank. Yeah, so no, Apologizing man, I, like always. Yeah, I joked about it before that sometimes when I hit these barrel-aged brews, I almost want a, a warm-up beer to kind of take the edge off my tongue and let mm. the super alcoholy booziness go down easier. <laughs> but uh, this one, I don't think this one has that shocking, like, boozy flavor to it. So they did a good job at barrel-aging it. I like the flavors. It's, it is It is a thick brew. But um, it's not overpowering like in any of the flavors or tones, I guess. I think it's just a good balance on a barrel age. I mean, I, I dig it, bro. Yeah, pouring it, it definitely pours like freaking motor oil. Yeah, it's pretty thick. <laughs> I will say this. At the price point, it better be good because it was uh, 13 bucks mm. for this bottle. And that was on sale. I mean, luckily, my Biden books already came in, though, so. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tonight. No. <laughs> What's sad is that's still my splurging. I bought a big founders and some edibles. Hey, well, <laughs> I just splurged at uh, Jack's uh, bakery down there in Melvindale and bought me all these pepperoni rolls. <laughs> oh, man. Because I don't go down there too often, man. <laughs> and it was open. We went to uh, Hops and Barley's to get some food. And I'm like, oh, shit, Jax is open. That's definitely a reason why we're friends. Like, you had to go stock up on pepperoni rolls. <laughs> <laughs> it's not water. It's not toilet paper. That is not a commodity, dude. Well, the funny thing is that I, I tell my fiance, you know, I because she wanted hops and barley. She loves that place. So I'm like, I'll go get us some lunch. And then we drove by Jax, and it was open. I'm like, oh, can you buy me the pizza rolls? <laughs> She was like, I got you on the pizza rolls. And I come back with four of them, a freaking uh, blueberry strudel, and some weird Italian thing that I don't even know what it is. It it's an so impulse good. buy. She was like, what the fuck did you buy? I'm like, <laughs> did she look in the bag? She's like, damn, you got pizza rolls for the fucking whole week. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, that's the difference. Is she says, damn, you got pizza rolls for the whole week. And I go, damn. You got pizza rolls for the whole week. I'm like, no, and then I go, damn, I got pizza rolls for the next two days. <laughs> I wanted to thank uh listener, the real Muck Tuck man. So he's one of our listeners from Alaska. He's been real interactive on the social media lately, and he really loves the show. Sweet. Alaska to me is one of my dream go-to places. Like I'm a big guy, uh -huh. so to me a cruise ship, like oh, that's a lot of hot and stuff like that. I'm gonna have to wear like bowling shirts and shit like that. You'll be um, out there in Alaska with a t-shirt on, huh? Right, yeah. <laughs> they show those Alaskan crews. That shit looks beautiful. That's more my speed. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cardigan weather on a cruise and shit. Yeah, thanks for listening. Shout out Muck Tuck. Before we get started, we got to make sure we thank Sixfo Sueno for letting us use his music in the intro. Follow him on Instagram at Sixfo Sueno. That's F O E. Also, want to thank Cancer for letting us use his song in the mid roll. 
You can find him on Instagram at Eyes Bleed Defiance, where he's got all his graphic art and photography. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bad Guy Podcast. And if you're having hard times with any of the links, uh, you can go to the website, badguypodcast.com, and click through there. And we also got a YouTube channel now, so go subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's new. We don't have all the episodes up, but we're easily pressured. You know what I mean? So go subscribe and bug us and shit, and we'll get to it. (laughs) If you ain't sweating it, we ain't sweating it. (laughs) That's how we work. Well, go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is Riel Samard. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Hmm. Riel Samard. Is that his real name or is this like an alias? Nope, that's it. No aliases. But when you got a name like Real, right. you know, when, you're, <laughs> when you're the real deal Samard, you ain't got to go by some bullshit <laughs> nicknames and stuff. <laughs> So Riel Samard was born January 7th, 1951 in Montreal, the oldest of five children. He grew up in a middle-class home with a heavy-drinking, abusive father. I know I've said this on the show a lot lately, but to me, this is like typical build-a-bad-guy-from-scratch. Right. You know, family of five, alcoholic dad. Sounds like my family. Too, too many of us, brother. <laughs> his uncle on his mother's side of the family was an associate to Montreal Mafia boss, Vic the Egg Catroni. At a young age, Riel began to look up to mobsters and criminals as role models. So I think that makes it cross off the tic-tac-toe. Like, okay, right. big family, abusive dad, someone connected in the family. Yep. Bingo, we got us a bad guy. That's the old hat trick. So as a teenager, he joined a local street gang that primarily committed petty crimes like vandalism and car theft. Eventually, he put together his own crew and graduated to extortion and bank robberies. They would then party away most of their money. In the early 70s, one of his bank robbing accomplices was arrested and turned informant. And he snitched on Samard. So Samard was arrested and sentenced to six years in Parthenius Penitentiary in Montreal. Mm. In his 20s. Early 20s, too. Yeah. So probably didn't even get to do that real partying. Well, uh, back in that, if it was early 70s, then he was still, he was legal at 18. But still, I get what you're saying. You you get into your hardcore shit in your college years. Well, most, most folks do. So... While he's in prison, he ends up locked up in the same wing with Vic the Egg's younger brother, Frank, Frank Catroni. And Frank sees him, and he knows his uncle. And he's like, why don't you just roll with me? And Frank Catroni takes Riel under his wing. Riel was young. He was a big kid. He was scrappy. So he begins working as Frank's unofficial prison security. And he was always by his side, and he considered him a mentor. Thanks, Uncle Frank. You know... I was worried when I came in here, but you you, you taught me some stuff, and uh, I'll never forget that. So here's Frank, uh, Vic the Egg's ugly little brother, apparently. <laughs> and this is an older picture of him, too, so I'm sure, you know, back in his, uh, well, you said that these pictures would have been around, so he was a little bit older in prison is what I'm babbling about then, huh? He was a yeah. bit closer to this picture age then? Yeah, probably around us, maybe a little younger. All right. But All right. So I could see him being excited like a young dude comes in. He's like, hey, you know somebody? Hey, hey, let's do this. Well, so, yeah, he's probably down and he's probably gangster, but clearly he's a guy that's been living a bit of a comfortable life and is a little bit older. So, yeah, any kind of younger muscle like I have. Yep. You're with us, kid. Get in here. Yep. Yeah, and you always want to grow your gang, right? Yeah. Especially in prison. Halfway through their sentence, Vic gets diagnosed with cancer. And while still in prison, Frank took over as the acting boss of the family. That was always one of my favorite mob, mafia, organized crime little side stories. Like how you could just be up in the clink. And I mean, I get it, man. Like and if you're a made man, you follow a rank and file, right? I get that part. But it was always just one of my like funny little things I'd chuckle about. The guy on the outside dies and then the guy on the inside ends up being boss. It's like, damn, man, that's some fucking strict rules right there. You know what I mean? I'm too sick with cancer to be the boss. Let my brother in prison do it. (laughs) But boss, he's in prison. (laughs) You know there's some guy that's out there on the street busting his ass every day. Like, these motherfuckers, bro. 
How do I get this guy killed in prison? <laughs> Anyways, I mean, that obviously works great for Frank, but it also works pretty good for Riel. Because right at on. first, he's just like, yeah, I can roll with you and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, he's number two's right-hand man. All right. Fucking A. I just got moved up. Just lucked into some shit. <laughs> a high tide raises all ships, man. <laughs> I said lucked into some shit. Somebody had to get cancer for that, but still... <laughs> They're bad guys. Riel's in there like, Victor Egg got cancer? Yes! Yeah. And just like you said, the, the the number three's on the outside like, fucking Frank, I'm hoping he's getting cancer too. Like, fucking, because I'm on the outside putting in the work and that means I'm going to be the runner. <laughs> Riel Samar, this motherfucker ain't even Italian. Who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> so, different dates, but Riel and Frank both end up getting released from prison in 1979. And... Riel became his personal bodyguard and driver. Hmm. Well, he would do everything for him. He'd run his errands, pick up his laundry, drive his friends and family to him from the airport, watch him when he's out at night. Where does that lead the uh, bodyguard, personal bodyguard to these uh, mob bosses and stuff? Do, will they ever get like uh, made and shit like that? Or since he's he's not, so he's not Italian. Correct. He's okay. French Canadian. He's French Canadian. So, so yeah, he could never be made anyways. Right. So, it's a trick question. It's a good question, but it's a trick question. Because I think one thing the podcast has taught us is that where it sounds shitty, driver slash bodyguard is kind of a up-and-comer position because it's a under my wing. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? You're kind of learning the ropes, right. my, my right-hand man. Right. Even though it sounds shitty. It sounds like your bitch job or whatever. Right. Like, have you ever seen Game of Thrones? Uh, uh Yeah, some of it. It's kind of like when Jon Snow gets accepted and he thinks he's going to be a ranger because he's the best fighter and mm-hmm. he's got to be a steward and he's pissed he's like what the fuck i'm the best guy there and they're like yeah but you're going to be the commander's right hand man but he's still like fuck but i'm a steward but that steward is the best steward mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's kind of like that you don't want to be a driver or bodyguard but when you're a high ups driver or bodyguard you're learning a lot mm-hmm. but he also can never technically be made. Right. But we've covered plenty of dudes that don't give a fuck if they get made before. You know, I mean, not plenty enough to where it's like a lot, but we've covered a couple dudes. So, I mean, I guess if, if you don't give a shit if you get made and you just care about making some cash and doing the thing that I guess you like, <laughs> then, you know, you don't got to be made. But, I mean, I guess some dudes it would probably end up fucking pissing them off after a while, I would assume. So I mean, but you, you're pretty protected, though, right? I mean, no one's really going to touch the mob boss's bodyguard, right? No one's going to fucking put a hit on him. What puts you at a tough position with it is internal beefs because if there's an internal beef i can't reach out and touch you know what i mean another made guy or a made boss you need permission for all that but yeah i can technically kill his driver and he'll be pissed there'll be a sit down or some you know what i mean that might start some shit but that's technically not a death sentence so that's where it makes him a little bit more vulnerable I see associate, it's almost like a contractor. Like, some people are comfortable with that lifestyle. You get up and go when you want, don't have the tied-in connection. If you're a made guy, you're there at beck and call for the rest of your fucking life. There's no retirement, there's no... Mm-hmm. Like, there's a line from The Sopranos where he says, Junior Sopranos says, what are we, in the Navy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ford. Yeah, 30 and out shit. You don't fucking retire. <laughs> So, personal driver slash bodyguard is kind of a power position. At the end of the day, he still can't get made. So, the two developed such a close relationship, Riel would refer to him as uncle. A quote from Samard said that Frank was the first person to ever give him attention, love, and friendship. That nobody growing up ever paid attention to him. And he said, and Frank needed him. I had to take care of him. I was with him every day. It was my job to protect him. So it sounded like they needed each other. This fucking kid just needed somebody to give a fuck about him. Yeah. It's interesting, too, the life cycle of a boss. He's at the point now where he needs somebody to watch his back 100% of the time, you know, which just kind of reinforces the shit I said earlier about there's probably somebody (laughs) gunning for that fucker, you know? That's the general, it's the way of that life. No matter what, there's always somebody kind of gunning for you. Even if they're not actively gunning for you, they got an option rolled up for that just in case it happens. So Riel was described as a good-looking heartthrob with the charm of a gigolo. Hmm. Okay. So I feel like somebody asked him, like, hey, Riel, how would people describe you? Uh, good-looking dude. Charm of a gigolo. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm one smooth motherfucker. <laughs> Frank Catroni, who always appreciated Riel, he ends up putting him in charge of a Southwest Montreal nightclub. 
and Real immediately turns the nightclub into a huge success. He's all life for the party and shit. He's like, hey, I got the fucking personality of a gigolo. <laughs> Come to my nightclub, people. It's the fucking late 70s, early 80s, so people are just fucking blowing fucking cocaine every fucking night probably and shit. Yeah, and he's just out there giving, giving everybody lap dances and shit. <laughs> The Montreal Mafia is considered by some connected to the Bonanno family. The Canadian government disagrees. They say it's an independent unit of itself, sometimes referred to as the Six Family. The Montreal Mafia was made up of two warring factions. There was the Calabrese faction, which was controlled by Frank Catroni, and then the Sicilian faction ran by the Rizzutos, which had been jockeying for control. The Sicilian faction of the family didn't like how close Frank and Riel were. Frank's niece also ended up marrying a French-Canadian guy who he worked closely with. They didn't understand becoming close associates with French-Canadians. <laughs> really? <laughs> which, which, that part always puzzled me because of how Italian and Sicilian immigrants were treated when they came to this country, you know what I mean? So you figure they just live and let live. So you want to have a policy of, I'm not trying to do business with French-Canadians while living in montreal right. hey thanks for letting us come to this fucking country and uh we appreciate the non-communism and shit but uh can you guys keep your shit away from ours thanks <laughs> riel became anxious to prove his worth i'm gonna make uncle frank proud <laughs> i'm getting like the joey from friends <laughs> from you guys on January 18, 1980, he completed his first hit for the family. He killed a guy named Michael Fatso Marion. <laughs> Fats. Yeah. That's the name I want if I come and become a mobster. <laughs> he walked off on Fatso Marion while he's eating breakfast at the St. Adele restaurant and shot him three times. This is the second time this season of the podcast that a guy with fat in his nickname has been killed eating breakfast. <laughs> Pure coincidence. Not on purpose. Like, I didn't plan that out. Just different stories doing the research. One was in fucking Boston. This guy's in Montreal. But yeah, both nicknamed. One was Fats. One's Fatso. Shot eating breakfast. Can you believe that shit? Fatso just eating his breakfast. And, and he, you know, what the fuck, man? A guy can't even eat his breakfast? So they're just killing fat guys at breakfast all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, now. that's like that's the thing, right? Like, oh, you got to get Fats McGee at breakfast time while he's eating dinner. Well, that's when their guards are down, right? Right. <laughs> that's yeah. the most. Because they're over here like. I mean, if we're being fair, <laughs> I love me some breakfast. Yeah, so. Right. I mean, I if just love me some food. If you're going to come then you probably would come after you me. You come at me, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. <laughs> it's the best time to catch pancakes and sausage pancakes and sausage <laughs> dude if you catch me on the weekend like i'll have rolled like i ain't stretched or nothing yeah. you know what i mean i'm a little right. bit stiff in the fucking kitchen yeah shit. i mean either way i mean i'm just i'm gonna fall asleep after i eat it anyway right. so i mean there's, there's a good two hour period right there that you could come get me at that was it too they they caught him in his after breakfast nap so like the cops said like they killed him while he was eating breakfast but really fats was like fatso was like uh man that that breakfast was delicious i'm yeah, gonna go he's he getting like, ready for second breakfast yeah i'm gonna go take a nap and they got him while he was fucking sleeping and shit later that same year december 13th samard completed his second hit and he ambushed and gunned down reputed sicilian mobster nicholas morello as he left a St. Leonard bar. And this is during the the wars between the two families, right? Yeah, so this is like mid-war of the okay. two families. After the Morello hit, six months later, June 4th, 1981, Smart committed his third hit for the family when he killed a coke dealer and suspected informant, Giuseppe Montagano. Giuseppe was brought to a bar owned by Frank's son, and the plan was to kidnap him and kill him at a second location. But while they were there, Giuseppe started getting squirrely and tried to take off. And Smart shot him twice in the head. Mm. Suspected informant or known informant? Suspected informant, but he's a coke dealer. I don't yeah. think it takes a lot. to. I mean, you're at war anyways. Some accusations you don't come back from. Yeah. And even still, like, if this guy was... A coke dealer for the other side and his dumbass was showing up to a bar owned by frank's son then fucking this guy's a stupid motherfucker too 
or he might have been shady. So there's that yeah, too. Is sometimes right. sometimes these guys get caught up and killed because they're kind of thinking they're in on some double cross. Oh, you're right. I mean, I I didn't even that flew right over my head. He's a fucking suspected informant. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna get some dirt on the other side. Book it. Oh hell yeah, I'm going to Frank's son's bar. And all right. Well, you wrote your own fucking ticket there. So by now, there's no doubt to his usefulness as a gangster. And now he's the most feared hitman in the Catroni family. You see this uh, undrafted uh, free agent I signed in the in the clink? And you watch, man. You thought Tom Brady was a good draft pick. Real <laughs> has got the juice, baby. So around this time, a guy named Michael Poza was the primary money, money launderer for the Montreal Mafia. Now they're in the war, and it seems like the tide might be starting to turn. And he goes to work exclusively for the Sicilian faction. And the Catroni faction clearly doesn't like that. <laughs> On the night of September 7th, September 17th, 1982, Samard met Michael for a drink. And then in the early hours of the morning, he shot him twice in the head in a car in front of his home. He ab- his personality obviously works with no matter who's around him, the ladies, the men, because, I mean, obviously this guy's got some got some slick shit in his sleeve. If he can get somebody who jumped to the other side to come have drinks with him, it's like, damn, these dudes keep falling for it. It's like first, you know, not first, but the one was the drug dealer who, you know, came and fucking came to Frank's son's club, and now this guy, like, yeah, I'll come hang out and fucking go on a bros night with the people I just switched sides from and shit. I know y'all like, don't like him, but sure. Yeah. I always liked you. I mean, don't get me wrong. You keep call- it real. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times this guy got me laid? He's got the personality of a gigolo. <laughs> and plus, he was giving him lap dances. Now a rising star in the family and having had success with nightclubs in the past, Samard was sent to Toronto to establish a foothold for the Montreal family in the Toronto club scene. This area was predominantly ran by Johnny Papalia on behalf of the Buffalo crime family. Makes sense. Like a hour and a half, two hours from Buffalo, I think. You got Riel working for the Catroni family, who's representing the Bonanno family, going to Toronto to deal with a Toronto mobster that's representing the Buffalo family. They arrange a sit-down between the two families, and they come to an agreement where they decide to let Samard move into the Toronto territory to set up clubs in return for Johnny being able to set up his pinball and vending machines in the clubs. You you know movies, so I know you've seen Tommy. Tommy? I had to hold back, man. I almost hit the high notes on that shit. <laughs> uh, you seen Tommy? Fucking weird-ass movie. About it's the like blind blind guy, yeah. yeah. About the blind kid who plays fucking pinball. pinball. Eventually, they put oh, him in yeah, this yeah, weird, yeah. like fucking sarcophagus-looking shit. Fuck, mm-hmm. ah, this fucking wild, man. It's like the by my the mom, or some shit. My mom let me watch that movie when I was like ten, bro. I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Diana Ross or fucking whoever the fuck was? What the fuck's <laughs> happening? But anyways, when you said that, it I I had to hold back. <laughs> well, pinball a- was big back then, man. It was big money. Pinball, vending machines, cigarette vending machines. Like, that shit was making people millionaires back then. And I could never fathom it, but I found out later on in life as I met a dude who made a fuck ton of money off pinballs and cigarette machines and gentlemen's clubs and stadiums and shit like that. Like, I didn't even realize, like, but that shit adds up, man. One of the most powerful guys that we've talked about, Tony Accardo, was an early adapter to vending machines and... Uh, slot machines, just anything you could pump money into, and every store has one, and you just collect a little at a time, a little bit at a time, and it's easier to make that money liquid, so it's good for money laundering purposes. Also, it's just a fucking cash cow, and it sounds really silly, like, well, we want to set up a bunch of clubs, like, okay, if we can do the pinballs and the vending, but that's a hell of a fucking deal, because if this guy's going to set up a happening club in the 80s, everybody's going to be over there partying around the fucking pinball machine. Because that was like the machine that you could punch that tells you how hard you punch (laughs) at all the bars now. That was like the pinball machine of that time. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to take us a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
I'm tearing you down with me. Spit like the Baron, rulers of bread like Kaiser. Roll with the goal and get beaten like outsiders. These amateur animals swing in the wrong jungle. Climbing the wrong vines mean these lions will snuff you. Concrete wilderness building our own structures. Writing our own order, appointing our own judges. Overthrowing authority, morally lack conscience. Fighting for survival with rivals with throat punches. Tank, what's this beer that we got here? This is a Primer Double IPA from Holmes Brewery. It's delicious. Holmes has their uh, hazy double IPA game down tight. It's strong, but it hides it with its flavors. And uh, you guys know how we do with the Holmes. We're fanboys. And this one is just another one on their list, man. Like a five out of five, right, fellas? I mean, what what do you say? say? I would say five out of five. It's really good. Well, I think as much as I, I jock pounders on their dark dark beers, I think Holmes has like the the hazy mm-hmm. IPA game down for sure. You know, they're the go to. I think they're a little dangerous. Like that's why I'm glad we shared this one because that. <laughs> was... So we've had two beers today that if I would have just drank the whole thing. Right. Yep. <laughs> dangerous is right because they hide that alcohol with their flavors and you can't tell how strong it is by the by the initial you know drink so shout out to Holmes, man on their ipa game it's strong as fuck so when we left off real smart had set up shop in toronto setting up a string of clubs he started doing really well in toronto he started going by the name david <laughs> kind of random yeah. so i guess he did have an aka earlier he's like no aka he's like real smart david real smart <laughs> and david bought into an agency called prestige entertainment that's all i got prestige worldwide baby prestige entertainment. 
boats out. <laughs> right? No, no, it was Prestige Energy. But either it way, was Prestige Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like an escort service. That was the fucking uh, stepbrothers and shit. Yeah. Prestige Worldwide. <laughs> That's awesome. But actually, your initial reaction, you ain't too far off. The agency was called Prestige Entertainment, and it was an agency that would hire Quebec strippers to Ontario nightclubs. But it was a cash cow. Yeah, so yeah. Montreal was a big party town. Toronto was popping areas right closer to America. So they was just swapping girls back and forth. <laughs> Prestige Entertainment, baby. Yes, sir. Finest titties on the market. Don't complicate <laughs> shit. Just take them from one city to the other. <laughs> Yeah, so this is a uh, cash cow. So financially, he's like a he's like a huge earner. You know what I mean? He was like a big shot with one club. Now he's running this whole city. So he's got all these clubs, and he's got this. Uh, he's running strippers from city to city. And then uh, he meets up with a guy. They want to set up a drug dealing network of dealers in all the clubs across Toronto. I mean, to be honest, you got a nightclub dealing nightclub. You're cornering markets with incorporating that into your fold, right? So shrewd move and not a not a bad business plan if you're already into legal shit. So you got the club, you got the girls, you got the pinball machine, you got the cigarette machine. The the liquor comes with the club. I mean every fucking market is cornered. Yeah, they're selling drugs in here. We got that too. So we get a piece of everything. <laughs> it's like the movie theater. Like you go to the club, you're like, do you bring your own shit? You're like, oh no, I forgot it. You're like, fuck, you're gonna pay so much money. These guys fucking got everything handled. <laughs> like, should have brought your fucking quaaludes with you. All right. <laughs> so Samar brings in a guy named Richard Clement to oversee the operation. Hey, I know a guy. And uh, the two of them start raking in the cash. They pretty much spend most of their time enjoying like the high life on the Toronto party scene. Later that year, he finds out about two Montreal gangsters, a guy named Mario Haro and Robert Hattu. They were dr- involved in drug operations, and they come into town to Toronto, and they end up killing Richard Clement. Hold on. They didn't kill Richard Clement. They were in town to kill Richard Clement. And we all remember the reason why he got sent down to Toronto was his prowess in taking care of motherfuckers who step on toes and shit. So I'm, I'm curious to find out. On November 29, 1983, Riel and Clement went to their hotel room and knocked on the door. When two answered the door, Samar shot him in the head. Then he went in the room and shot Haro in the head five times, and they Jeez. both left. I'm trying to be the nightclub king of Toronto, and you want to come here and fucking start some shit? I'm going to put you down five to the fucking goddamn. I mean, they killed his moneymaker, right? Yeah, they came to town to kill his moneymaker and shit, and they fucking... <laughs> well, let me show you the reason why I got sent down here to Toronto, because I handled the business and the, and the fucking... So, I'm sorry, but did they, like, attempt to kill him, or he just found out, like, someone, like, ratted him out, and, like, hey, these dudes are down here to kill your boy? Well, somebody ratted him out, apparently, but for all we know... Richard Clement could have just not liked them. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, I think these guys are in town to kill me. <laughs> I don't. Well, I mean, I don't know. I right. don't really know the story. I know right. they didn't like Rich Clement, and that was his guy that run the drug operation, and they were in town to, to kill this guy or maybe mm-hmm. not kill the guy. Maybe he owed him money. Either way. But does it matter, baby? Come on. This is Toronto, <laughs> man. <laughs> Come on. What are we doing? Yep. What are they going to move in? What do they want next? The smokes? These guys are bad for business. I mean, yeah, these motherfuckers got everything cornered. You're not coming into their shit and touching anything without them knowing. So you're right, man. They probably came in town and it was instantly popped up on their radar. Like, yeah, we've been through this this game before. The drug dealer, what's his name at Frank's fucking son's place and shit. Like, <laughs> people keep on trying to come close. And we got to keep on fucking showing them why, the, why we're the boss around here. So you said he blasted him in the head five times? Yeah, so the guy opened the door and he shot him in the head. And then he went in and shot the other guy in the head five times. <laughs> Damn. Like, I wanted, like, was it just for fun for him, or, like, was the guy still moving? <laughs> I don't know. We hear, I think usually they unload guns. So these guys, at some point, they're just, just so cold that they're just doing it and shit, and they just unload it. Especially a lot of times that they're leaving it. It doesn't matter if they shoot it once or they shoot it 15 times. Well, because you also hear about the guy, Ken Edo, got shot three times and yeah. lived. You can't yeah, but keep, back you can't... then, there were, there were um, right, what we, we discussed that, they were, like, refilling their own bullets and shit, right? Yeah, they were doing janky shit with yeah. their bullets 
I mean, maybe you go with five times in the head because you're a professional and you want to make sure. Like that's true. Know. Or maybe he because he did it because ah, I took the effort to put these extra bullets in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're really good, you wipe you wiped every one down, you know, by hand and shit. Yeah. Like man, I'm gonna waste five time. clean bullets and shit. Right. Don't come here and not expect five in your fucking body, right? Shit. Well, and. And here's the reason you put five in the head is because the next day Smart finds out through the news that Robert Hattu had survived. What? So the guy he shot once in the head lived. So the guy opened the door and shot him in the head and then went in and shot the other guy in the head five times. Well, the first guy lived. Damn. So he walked over that motherfucker, shot the other guy five times, and then like, fuck, I ran out of bullets. You should have wasted the five bullets. <laughs> See, we were speculating and giving way times. too much credit for that. Whoops. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. God damn. Downfall here. Well, look, this is a, this is an important lesson, though. Mm-hmm. So on this podcast, we never have to ask again, well, why would you shoot him five times in the head? Why That's would you why. shoot him nine times in the head? Why would you? Well, because you shot him one time in the head and he left. Yep. So now we have twice. This guy shot once. Canetto shot three times. Whatever. However many you got. Fever. Five yeah. is the magic number. Right. You could have at least went three and three. You know, you went one and five. Yeah. So, you know what that does tell me? Revolver. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a, it can't be a coincidence that it adds up to six. Right. It's half and half. Use the 22, maybe. Something. <laughs> big head. I got a big head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. If someone could take one off their dome, it'd be me. Yeah. So, he finds out Robert Two who survives. He tries to go on the run, but he's quickly caught. And he gets convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. And over the next couple of years, the Sicilian faction led by the Rizzutos completely takes over the Montreal Mafia. The war decimated the smaller Calabrese controlling family. And they continued to operate, but kind of like as an independent operation. Under Frank with limited rackets, but they was able to maintain. So what you're saying is my friend Rial was the one who was holding it all together, huh? He's keeping the Sicilians at bay. Shit, man. Second he was gone, the Sicilians are like, yeah. Where's your French Can that's why you don't depend on the French Canadians, because look, he went to Toronto, did a bunch of coke, and now he's fucking gone. Is the Italian mafia still that same way nowadays, do you know, where you have to be Italian to get made? Because if not, maybe they should change their policy, man. You know what I mean? Like they should have made I mean, I'm not saying they'd making them would have kept him out of prison, right? But either way, like, you had a stud here, man. Like I said, undrafted motherfucking free agent and shit. Make this motherfucker, man. He was the glue holding you together and shit. Probably earning hand over fist. So you're kicking back a bunch of money. Everybody's afraid to make a move because, you know, you got this pit bull on your side. <laughs> it's wild to think that shit. All right, let's let's get this scenario. You got this motherfucker, and he's just running clubs and shit, and everybody's scared of fucking with him. Like, look, you gonna go fuck with this guy? Like, this, you talking about the dude who runs nightclubs and shit? Fuck yeah, I ain't scared of no pussy that runs nightclubs and shit. Well, you should have been, because there was a dude keeping the glue together and shit. Samard was sent to Archibald Prison in July 1986. Now, it was a medium to minimum security prison, so it wasn't even a tough prison. Not long into his stay, he survived an attempt on his life by several inmates. So he got jumped by a bunch of dudes in prison. Oh. And uh, he got real nervous, and he thought that Frank was trying to set him up to have him killed in prison. Mm. I don't know why. I don't have Murray. a lot else to go with the story why it would justify that, but I know that's what he thought. Maybe because he think Frank was mad because the whole fucking shit went to shit after he left. All right, maybe you weren't supposed to be killing people. Fucked everything up. It doesn't take a lot, I guess. Well, you're an associate. You're not even the main guy. So why don't you fuck up? We can yeah, cut that tie real quick. Yeah. Wait, I can put a new guy in there. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, he's already in prison, so maybe he wants to get a lighter sentence and start snitching on shit that they don't know about yet, you know? Wait, you're telling me that a dude who was blowing yay in fucking clubs and now, in, now he's in prison and don't got no yay and can't blow that shit is getting paranoid? I'm fucking buying in this fucking... Is Frank after me? Fucking, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm in this fucking prison cell. I don't fucking know. It's got to be Frank, right? It's got to be Frank, man. Is that the helicopter? You see the helicopter? Side note, though. You said 86, right? Yeah. So 35 years, man, that's a fucking wild. I, this is like one of my favorite things to say, man, that's a wild six years. You know what I mean? But either way, fellas, what the, right? You said 79, I think he got out of prison the first time. Yeah. Man, what a motherfucking six, seven years. I 
hammered to know the math, but what a motherfucking six years, man. God damn. He got after it. Hell yeah, he did. Shit, dude. No fucking slouch. In a mere seven years, he went from out of prison, picking up Frank's laundry, dropping off people at the airport, to fucking running the Toronto mob scene. Fucking Mm. locking it down and then back into the clink again. Back where it all began. So he thinks Frank's out to get him and he's not going to be able to survive in prison. And Samard decides to turn informant. Samard confessed to five murders and told them everything he knew about the Montreal criminal empire from top to bottom. Damn! Motherfuck, man. I don't even know why I'm so mad right now, but what? See, I mean, most of these guys don't start snitching until attempt on their life, but yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure if they were really trying to get them or not, but if I didn't do anything and a bunch of dudes just try to jump me for no reason, then someone's had something to do with it. <laughs> they didn't jump me last time when I right, was here with Right, we was just eating lunch together a week ago, no. But you're Frank now, man. You know what? Ah, fuck. See, I'm all messed up now on the made, unmade shit, because... I guess if you're made and you're up in the clink, then that kind of shit don't happen, possibly. But damn. Mm. Damn. Damn on both fronts that you, the attempt, and damn that you decided, well, I'm at the point now where I'm all right with converting, I guess you could say. (laughs) Shit. So his testimony convicted Frank, his son, and two other mob guys, and they were all arrested on October 10th, 1986. Uncle Frank's fucking pissed. What the fuck? You snitched on my kid? Fucking. Could you just snitched on me? You snitched on my kid? But ultimately, all of them, they all got convicted, but none of them got convicted of much. And Frank ended up getting the most with eight years. So Frank got eight years. Everybody got less than that. Maybe he was a. Go back off the gigolo uh, (laughs) shit from the past. Maybe he was a lover, not a fighter, you know. But I don't know, man. Frank fucking liked him because he was the muscle the first time around. Maybe he just. Was away from that point in his life where he just, he maybe he didn't know how to beat a muscle no more. I don't know, but fuck, man. Maybe I, he was the muscle, they didn't get him. But he was like, well, fuck, how many times can I fight off a bunch of dudes? You got me there, I'm with you there, man. So I got attacked, like, I'm, I'm, I'm alive still, I'm in prison, got jumped by a bunch of dudes, I made it out, but fuck, is this what I'm gonna do now? Yeah, I'm not made, what's yeah. gonna happen when I get out of here? I'm I gotta you. try and find a new Frank. No I gotta Franks, find some guy, no Franks gotta, around and shit. Yeah, does anybody needs muscle? I'm new muscle <laughs> prison again and shit. Right. I'm back at the fucking beginning. Yeah, hell yeah. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go the fuck back to the beginning. Real smart. You're not a made man. We don't like French Canadians. Fuck off. Yep. And the and you guys lost the war. The Sicilians are in charge. Yep. Fuck off. I got into all this because I had what's his name's back. Frank. No, not Frank. Uh, oh, Richard Clement. That's it. Mr. Clement. He hmm. should have let Clement handle his own business. Well, yeah, he could have found a new drug dealer somewhere. What I think it is is that drug money, you look at drug money versus... Smokes the, the, the smokes and the stuff like that's consistent over time, but that drug money is big money now. And then this other guy's like, hey, here's your uh, bag of quarters from the pinball machine. But you know what didn't get him in prison? Pinball machines. <laughs> Fucking cigarette machines. You know what I mean? Right. The cigarette machine never guys, guys never said, hey, let's just kill him. Slow money, baby. Get rich slow. That's right. Get rich quick is gone. Like Get yeah. rich slow. Riel Samar got day paroled in 1990 and full parole in 1994. What is day parole? They just let him out for the day. I yeah. mean, like, really? Know, okay. Gotta be back at a certain time. Yeah, they let you out in the morning. You gotta go back to prison at night. Maybe if I knew about that, I forgot about that. But anyways, that's that's interesting. So yeah, did that for a couple years, did good, and they eventually full paroled him. He All went right. By- so like the the fucking farm leagues of parole. All right. <laughs> We know he's a good prospect. He always does good if you put him in a prospect situation. He was gigoloing his way through fucking day parole. Give him an inch. He went by the name Michael Rosselli, and he claimed that reading a French translation of Out on a Limb, which is like a spiritual, like a new age spiritual book by American actress Shirley MacLaine. He said that convinced him that he had a soul and taught him the belief of the reality of reincarnation. Ooh, so before this point, was he psychopathic or sociopath? No, psychopathic is the worst one, right? Is like the one where psychopath means you don't, you can't love people or anything like that. Okay. So sociopaths like will still love people. They just don't. 
Thank Funk you, Shirley. Shirley. Yeah. Thanks, Shirley. You you made him love. You taught him that he had a soul. So Shirley MacLaine wrote a book about like reincarnation and all this crazy shit, and he read it, and he was like, yeah, I got a soul. I'm going to be reincarnated, so like, why would I kill people anymore? You know? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Put that behind me. I'm Michael Rosselli. I'm riveted to find out what that achieves him. So he picks like an Italian last name and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I'm going to get made. Right. God damn it. I'm Rosselli now. Okay, so when I was doing the research, I didn't think about it that much until you start talking it out. Like, that might have been a big, bigger thing his whole life. Because, yes, he did go to an Italian name. He wanted to be Italian yeah. this entire time. Since yeah. he was a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> when his uncle knew Vic the Egg and shit. God damn it. Damn straight. And earlier I was like, bro, you don't gotta be made, man. Like, he, maybe he could have followed the path of other dudes that didn't give a fuck if they are made. And the whole time he was like, no, man. I want to be made. Yeah, he wanted to be made the entire time. I want to be Italian. I want to be Italian. Look at my dad. He's an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) I want to be like Uncle Frank. Yeah. He's so cool. Uncle Frank, you're my daddy. (laughs) Well, yeah, most experts said he seemed completely rehabilitated. So they let him out. He became active in the Quebec separatism movement, and he started working in the political field as an aide and later a campaign manager. So I don't know if you know about the Quebec separatist movement, but they want to just separate Quebec and start like their own country and just be like a little French country in the middle of Canada or something like that. Mm. I do remember that because this was mid-90s. Yeah. Yep. So even though I was young, I do remember this movement. So it seemed like while he was chugging along, and some of it might have been due to his political influence, that might have made him some enemies. And he was already like a lot of like uh, law enforcement didn't like him because he got out. It seems like someone in law enforcement might have went to political connections that were employing him and told him who his real identity is and told him that, like, hey, he's actually really like a hitman that's in witness protection. He's not Michael Rosselli. (laughs) So they fired him. Ah. But yeah, he gets fired from his political shit, and it really seems like law enforcement people set him up and told on him that he was really a criminal and shit. Sure. Yeah, he helped Quebec become a little own little country. And he gets the biggest strip club he ever wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question one. Who's running the cigarette machines? Who's going to run our cigarette machines, man? (laughs) Who's running a pinball machine? This is the 90s, bro. We got Genesis. Hey, but he would be right because nowadays we're back to cigarette machines and fucking pinball and mm-hmm. shit. You could pop that shit in any fucking bar or nightclub and make a fucking mm-hmm. fortune off it. So You just want to quit back to be some one big nightclub. <laughs> yeah. I just want to party, bro. <laughs> I want to be Italian and party. Yeah. So once he gets fired, he starts having financial issues and he turns to welfare fraud. And he ends up getting caught. It's like an extreme misdemeanor, and he actually has the $3,500, so they say he defrauded him out of $3,500 of uh, welfare money, and he's like, well, dude, I'm sorry, I got $3,500, I'll give you back, and they're like, well, no, that's a parole violation, you gotta go back for your life terms and shit. (laughs) Oh, man, (laughs) that's fucked up. Mm. But he finds out, and before they can get to him, he escapes, and he completely disappears. Mm. So while he was gone, what he did was he moved to Latin America... As a missionary, he married a local woman and he had a kid. But Last he... thing I thought you were going to say, fucking Latin. All right, man. Mm-hmm. Hey, get far away. If they're looking for you, get far away. Fucking hey, man. They don't come south of the border. But he's always telling his wife, he's like, Quebec, though, man. The separatist movement, though. This is where we need to be. You want to go back to Quebec? Mm-hmm. So he takes his family and oh, moves back God. to Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with <laughs> Dude. God damn it, Real! Dude, what the fuck? He was just keeping it real. Well. <laughs> when keeping it real goes wrong, Look, I am from Quebec. Okay, the Quebec movement. Okay, so Real Smart was found in 2004 under an assumed identity, working as a security guard at Montreal's most prestigious private school. He was discovered and arrested. And he's now redoing his life sentences, and his parole has been declined. He's no longer to, allowed to apply for parole. Sounds like he wasn't possibly reformed, man. I mean, I'm not trying to get bleeding hard on it, but, I mean, he went down, he got a wife, he brought her back up to his home. You said he was a teacher, and... He was a security guard. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Uh, well, all right. Well, but it was a good, it was a good private school. Maybe he was fucking reformed, I guess. I don't know. But... How, how bad do you have to love Quebec that you will go back there to work as a security guard overstaying in Latin America with your new family? I don't know, man. That's, that's a really dumb move. You know he was going to get caught. I mean, you fled, right? That's where he left. Quebec, right? That's where yeah. he was locked up at. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you go back? You you don't think they're going to see you, like, marching along? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Is that Riel Smart? You're right. <laughs> no, what was his name? Uh, oh, Michael Rosselli. <laughs> no, that's Michael Rosselli. <laughs> <laughs> So did he change his name when he went to Latin America? Like, was he something else? Was he Jose Gonzalez? <laughs> Miguel Rodriguez. Miguel Rodriguez. Damn, man. Just an interesting... You could just call me David. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Like, what an interesting fucking story, man. You the man for this one, bro. That's a good find. All right. So that's the story of Riel Samard. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Come on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. So now you guys haven't seen the picture yet. But if we were going to cast a movie about Riel Smart, before I show you guys a picture, who would you cast to play him? Uh, I I don't have a guess, but I'm just going to... The, the dude that just plays Joe, Joey. <laughs> That's, I didn't want to say that because I was leaving it for you. Because you said it earlier, so I was like, all right, yeah. I'm going to... He is Italian. Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. Right? Is he? A, he's yeah, a, he no, is. Matt LeBlanc. LeBlanc oh, he's actually, Italian? LeBlanc sounds like French. French as fuck, yeah. right? That's what I thought. Because like, French, dudes, <laughs> French dudes can have that weird olive skin complexion, too. <laughs> Yeah, but he plays an Italian and like everything, Not right? Weird. I mean, I'm Italian. But, oh, <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, I believe his name is Matt LeBlanc, right. which sounds French to me. French. But he did play Joey Tribbiani. Yeah. So my deal is, I'm I'm always going back to. I want to say he's from Boardwalk Empire. Oh man, he's got dark skin and dark hair. Do the magic. You talk about the guy that was on the other guys too, like a big. Tall Italian guy? Is it this guy, Bobby Cannavale? Man, that looks like him, dude. It's a guy that's uh, like Ant Man, right? Yeah, the cop from Ant Man. So I got the other guy. Well, if it's not, then that's the guy I picked based on whoever you thought. <laughs> so here's the pictures of Riel Smart. Alright. Picture on the left looks like the guy from uh named Jesse from uh Full House could play him. Oh yeah, that's uh John Stamos. John Stamos. John Stamos. <laughs> this other picture he looks like uh Pink from uh Dazed and Confused. Oh yeah, 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 that guy. That's right. right, he does kinda he's got kind of a Stallone look, maybe like a early young Stallone yeah, look, but yeah. Puffy hair. Lean Stallone. Yep. Alright, well here's another picture. It's a little rougher. That's a little more Stallone, man. I yeah. like the, the lip. The lip and the eye seem slightly Stallone. But yeah, you're right. A little right. saggy, a little slow. I could see why the ladies would like him and uh, why he'd be considered, like, we covered it before, swarthy kind of fella. The next picture, this is the last picture we got to read smart. So this is one of my favorite pictures as far as, like, a mugshot of a guy we ever had. So the reason we're covering him is because of this picture. <laughs> 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 Dude, what? that's got like a Scarface fucking kind of vibe to it. That V-neck fucking. So I mean, is this like a a mugshot? Yeah. Okay, so it must have been like a women women he, cop taking that photo. He's like, he was coming. <laughs> he was, he was I feel coming like, down. I feel like he thought that was sexy. Yeah. He was coming down, man. They yeah. they they pulled him out of the nightclub after this photo and shit. Yeah. That definitely Stallone for sure, like Sorry, 80s before. Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> no, have you seen a lot of cokeheads? But he's sidewinding like a motherfucker. <laughs> so now we gotta do the Defcon scale. Standard Defcon scale is five to one. Five being the lowest, one being the highest. But on the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So five is Lee Murray, who's your crack dealing, bank robbing, kidnapper. 
And one is the purple gang who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they kill people on the street. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the purple gang, where would you rate Real Samard? I'm going to give him a two. I was, uh, yeah. I didn't keep track on, like, how many kills he got, but I remember there would be quite a few. I, I would say he's he's about a two, maybe three. No, he's a two. He's <laughs> <laughs> for sure a two. I struggled on the, the two and the three, but I'm going to give him a two because you can shoot one dude uh, two times and he's dead, but you decide to unload a whole clip in him. And I guess the, the argument could be, well, maybe he unloaded a whole clip because he was scared or he just pulled the trigger five fucking times or whatever. But anyways, when you shoot a dude fucking five times in a row, you know he's dead. I struggled on giving him a two or a three, and I went on the two just because of the murders that he would take on to impress the mob that he couldn't be made by and shit. I feel good giving him a two. What do you think, Locke? I definitely think that a two is good because I think body count wise, he's at the low end of a two. Not, he's not a huge killer, but he also was at it like seven years, which we talked about earlier. You know what I mean? So that's a lot of action in a short amount of time. Yeah, he got a lot of action in those seven years. Yeah, so if he'd have been out of prison a little longer, been a little slicker, we've seen his modus operandi. We've seen how he fixed problems. So it's not always about, you know, how much damage you do or whatever. It's where your mindset is. But he's a two. He's clinging to the bottom of two, but he's a l- lower two class. I'm sure. I think Dan would definitely want us to give him a two. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and call him a unanimous DEFCON 2. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. All right. Before we go, you guys got anything? That picture's awesome. So this will for sure be on Instagram. <laughs> Go follow us on Instagram, Bad Guy Podcast. And, uh, ah, fuck, man. Nobody else is having regrets on a two. Does anybody else think it should have been a three? No, no, I think two is good. Yeah, you yeah, think yeah, right? for sure. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Look, you kill for money. Yeah. To me, to me, threes are like gangsters that put up some bodies working their way up the food yeah. chain. Yeah, he yeah, was like a, they yeah. shot a dude once in the back of the fucking head, and that was it, right? All right, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah, say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell the dope when I pass by. Down bad, my mama had to be dead Spent my birthdays in the trap, we had to work with what we had She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam, man. And I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands A hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So I don't money grab the hundred hams I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy.
better dope when I pass by.